Thank you, Chris. Um, hey, Chris, just a thought. Maybe you could make that song available for all of us through an email or something so that we can uh, use it this coming New Year's Eve, right? I mean, that seems like a great song that I, I don't want to just sing it once today. I want to keep singing that. That's a great song. Um, I never did like that old Ain Signs thing. I didn't even know what it was talking about. So I like it now. Okay, so thanks for fixing it, Chris. And uh, now we can actually enjoy that song. So Anyway, well, hey, this morning, we are so uh, privileged to have with us Dr. Lance Waldy uh, and his wife, Cheryl, and their two kids, Brooke and Daniel. Daniel's been coming to Lakeside here for uh, this last fall semester, and so it's been a blessing to have uh, him here. But um, uh, Lance is uh, the pastor, the senior pastor of uh, Harvest Bible Church down in Cyprus. If you know anybody down in the Cyprus area that's looking for a good Bible teaching church, send them to Harvest Bible Church. And uh, Lance has been there 20 years, so we're kind of on the same track. I've been here about 20 years. He's been there about 20 years. He grew up in River Plantation, went to Conroe High School uh, as a Bearcat. Those of you that are going to Sam. Uh, it, the, huh? Oh, you're a Tiger. I'm talking like Sam Houston now, aren't they? Then you were a Bearcat. Tiger first. Oh, you're really sentimental about that Tiger thing, man. Didn't mean... Didn't, didn't mean to hurt your feelings there, bro. Um, so those of you going to Sam, he, he went to Sam. Dallas Theological Seminary, Newburgh Theological Seminary. He has a PhD in apologetics, which means he's way smarter than all of us, okay? Um, but, you know, there's, uh, this is a dream come true for me because uh, there's just guys that you uh, have an instant connection with that maybe you never hang out with, but you just kind of know that they're a brother from another mother, as they say, right? I mean, just a like-minded guy, similar convictions. And so I've really respected Lance from afar these last 20 years, uh, hearing about his ministry down there at uh, Harvest Bible Church. And in fact, just so you know what I'm talking about here, uh, I went on his website this morning, and uh, he has an ac actually a little, a little tab uh, on his website called Preaching Convictions, Okay, we don't even have that, Lance, man. Way to go, bud. Um, let me just read for you. This is, and this is Lance's heart. This is his passion uh, for preaching. Number one, the primary means through which God brings unbelievers to salvation in Christ is through biblical preaching. Preaching is the means through which God brings his elect to his son, Jesus Christ, for salvation. That sound familiar? I hope so. <laughs> Number two, preaching God's word should be expositional. Verse by verse, paragraph by paragraph, chapter by chapter, book by book. You like the guy ready, don't you, right? Uh, the timeless doctrines found in the Bible taught with conviction in their historical and grammatical context applied to men's lives through the power of the Holy Spirit is the answer to all of mankind's problems. Amen? Number three, proclaiming Christ's resurrection and the hope of eternal life he grants, calling all to repentance and faith, warning those who profess faith in Christ to prove the genuineness of their calling and election through their growth in personal piety and the practice thereof are the catalyst for good preaching. And then lastly, number four, a good preacher is not a pep rally leader. He's a chosen vessel, a shepherd who feeds Christ's sheep. The word that he preaches has the power to revive the soul and bring a sinner's rebellious will into subjection to the lordship of Jesus Christ. It is the sovereign grace of God at work when people are compelled to receive Christ or be rededicated to his service, and it comes about through faithful biblical preaching. Amen? And uh, so this is the heart of our brother. And uh, why don't we give Lance a, a warm lakeside welcome this morning. Come on, Lance, and preach God's word, man.
Here. Well, the last time I preached in Montgomery, I was the youth minister at uh, Honey Baptist Church in 1990. And before that, I was at First Baptist Montgomery, just right down the road. Strange to be out of Montgomery. I grew up in Conroe. 105 was one way west, one way east. There was a 7-Eleven on the side of the road, and there was a lake with a golf course around it, which I played often. Um, amazing. How, how many of you have been in Montgomery for 20-plus years, 30 years? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Uh, anyway, it's wonderful to be here. Thank you, Ken, for having me. Um, all I did was write Ken the other day and say, hey, I'm, I'm coming to church Sunday. I'm taking the day off. I'm going to take you to lunch. And I knew that the wheels would start turning because I'm a preacher too. And he thought, I can get this day off. I'll ask him if he wants to preach. So I did. But I, 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 would, I could have easily said no and enjoyed it. But uh, thank you for I mean, you didn't know I was coming. I don't want to thank you for having me. Now you just, I thank you for intolerating me. Uh, well, I'm going to, my text today is from 2 Timothy chapter 2. It's the passage where, uh, it's the book where I'm in at Harvest Bible Church. And let me give you some quick context here uh, about Timothy. 2 Timothy is, is at the end of Paul's life. This is the last letter he writes before he dies. He knows he's going to die. He's been in jail on many occasions prior and for a handful of years, four to five years prior, he was released. He faced the emperor Nero and apparently won his case. The only reason he was in jail was for preaching the gospel and telling this. He had the gall to tell Gentiles that they too could be saved. Crime, isn't it? Paul, being a Jewish man, had the gall to, tell, uh, to go out and tell everyone that they could be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. And the Jews hated him for it, found a way to get him in jail. Paul pleaded his case before Nero, was let loose. We don't know why he was arrested another time, except that Nero went uh, outright insane and imprisoned all Christians, burned many of them as candles in the night. Uh, Paul was in jail. He knows he's at the end of his life. He writes his young protege, Timothy, who was the pastor in Ephesus at this time. Uh, the, the context is around A.D. 64, 66-ish, um, somewhere in that area, and Paul, knowing that his time is up, is trying to encourage his young protege. Timothy was no Paul. Paul was a, well, we would say a stalwart. He had seemingly no fear, and Timothy was a bit timid. Uh, in fact, Paul tells him, God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but of, of strength, of power, of discipline, and of love. And yet Timothy, as probably all of us would be, was that young man going, my, my mentor is in jail. He's going to die. Imagine yourself that way. Imagine the person that you have followed. And Timothy has followed Paul for 20 years at this point, at least 20 years. He's seen everything Paul's done. He's seen Paul almost die, dating back to the time Timothy first met Paul, where they tried to stone him to death. Actually, they believed that they did uh, succeed in stoning him in Acts chapter 14. Uh, they thought he was dead. I mean, if, you, if people threw a bunch of stones at you, and they're not throwing pebbles, they're stoning you. And Paul was left for dead, got up wiped the dust off his hands and said, let's go preach some more. Timothy witnessed this. And when Paul came back through town, a short time later, Timothy began to follow, and he saw all the garbage. He saw the ways in which Paul was run out of town in, uh, in Macedonia, in Philippi, and in Berea, uh, how he was treated in Corinth, how he was treated in Ephesus. And he is, was with Paul when he was imprisoned in Caesarea, when he went to prison in Rome. Timothy was always there. 
And now Timothy's been sent back to the church in Ephesus where he is the pastor. His mentor is at the end of his life, and Paul is writing to encourage him. I would need encouragement at that point. Paul has no friends with him except Luke. He says at the end of the letter that everyone has abandoned him. Some have left just to go on preaching tours. Uh, His close friend named Demas has decided he's through with Paul. And wouldn't you? Imagine the person that you're following who, who knows Christ, who has spent so many years in jail. Would you want to be associated with such a one? I mean, he's a jailbird. People don't like him. His own people hate him. His own friends have abandoned him. What kind of a person is this Paul? You and I, in hindsight, love Paul. We're thinking we would be there, but would we? If Ken was arrested, put aside, I mean, usually preachers are forgotten in a month after they're gone, if, if it even takes that long. If Ken was put in jail and, and accused, and you know it's false accusation, if you know he's just in there to preach the word, some new slick preacher came in, oh, we forget Ken. It would happen to me, it happened to Paul, it happened to Jesus. Where were his friends when he was on the cross? They were all gone. His best buddy had denied even knowing him. This is what happens in ministry. Paul knows it. He's telling Timothy, this young man whom he loves, he calls him his son, chapter 2, verse 1. He's spoken of him elsewhere as his son. He's a spiritual son because Paul has no wife or children. He's spoken at the end of chapter 1. He he talks about how two of the men that he knew in chapter 1, verse 15, he says, you're aware of the fact that all who are in Asia, that is in Ephesus where Paul was, that's Asia Minor, Uh, modern Turkey. Uh, He preached there for three years. They loved him in Ephesus. He says, all of them have turned away from me. Among them are Phygelus and Hermogenes. But he points out another man named Onesiphorus. Verse 16, the Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me. Now, if you're going to go to Rome and refresh a prisoner in a dungeon, this is a sewage dungeon. If you're going to go help a prisoner there, who's in jail on trial for his life for preaching the gospel. Do you think your life would be in danger? Yes, indeed. Onesiphorus said, don't care. I'm going to serve this man who's given me the gospel. And so Paul sends this mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. He often refreshed him. He didn't do it once undercover. Apparently, he was coming back and forth, giving him refreshment. He was not ashamed of my chains. But when he heard that I was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me, and he found me. The Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know very well what services he rendered at Ephesus. So Onesiphorus was from Ephesus. He made the almost 1,000-mile trip from Ephesus across two seas, walking the landmass to get to Rome, searching to find this man in jail. Paul says the Lord grant mercy to him. And so when he gets to chapter 2, he says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In other words, don't be like Phygelus and Hermogenes. Be like Onesiphorus. You be strong in the grace. The tense of the verb is keep on being strong. How many of you need an encouragement? Maybe today to be strong. Maybe today, maybe the, the situation in our culture has gotten you down. Maybe you've lost your job, your health. Someone you know has lost their job, their health, or both. You need somebody to say, I love you. Keep on being strong. Don't give in. All Christians do. I mean, who doesn't need that encouragement? Here's Paul, the one that needs it, giving it. I love that about Paul, among the many things. He has Timothy on his mind, not his own dreadful situation. He doesn't write a letter and say, Timothy, 
This is far worse than that prison I was in in Caesarea. It's far worse than my house arrest I was in in Rome when I was preaching the gospel to the Praetorian guard he speaks of in Philippians. He said, I'm in a dungeon now, but he doesn't say pray for me. Help God, tell God to get me out of here. None of that. He's talking about Timothy. Timothy, you're going to pass the baton. I'm going to die. He knows he's going to die. And when you know when you're a believer in Christ and you know your death is imminent, it's actually a glorious situation, or it should be. I mean, we're leaving this world of death, entering into eternal life. Is that not something to rejoice? And we have the guarantee that it's true. If you're worried whether it is true, let me encourage you, keep on being strong. The remedy for doubt is God's word, over and over. Be reminded, keep on being strong, Timothy. Timothy's, he wants Timothy to come see him. Timothy now has that, that fear. If I go see Paul, are they going to arrest me too? Am I going to be in jail? How many of you, let's just be, come on, be self-righteous. How many of you want to die for Christ? We're going to die anyway. If we get to pick our death, I'd like to die for Christ. Are you with me? I'd love that. How many would like it to be quick? <laughs> Look, just shoot me across a mile away. I'm gone. I never saw it coming. I'm in the presence of Jesus. How many of you want to go spend a couple of years in a dungeon, in a cold cell where first century Roman sewage flushes through, where you lay on the ground where rats are, and other common criminals. How many are in for that? I'm not. Timothy's thinking, if I go visit this guy, this is what I have. This is what's waiting me. But Paul says, keep on being strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I want you to know it's by the means of God's grace that we can be strong. I love that he didn't say, keep on being strong through the law of Moses. Wherever grace is, always scratch it out and surmise, what if they would have put the word law in there? Keep being strong by the law. It doesn't work. By the grace of God. He doesn't say keep on being strong by the power that's within you, by your, your self-talk, but by the grace of God, by the means of the grace, excuse me for spitting, that is in Christ Jesus. How many of you are trying to be strong in the midst of these times? By the grace of God. How many of you are being strong by putting on Netflix all the time? Biding your time through mindless movies, games, silliness. I understand that. I wouldn't bring it up if I didn't understand it. But how many of us are being strong by the grace that is in Christ Jesus? He tells Timothy where Timothy might have just said, you know what, I'm done with this. I've fought long enough. Tim, Paul says, the things which you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. If you've ever been in a relay race, whether it be a swimmer or a runner, you understand the concept. You have the baton. If you're running, you run your lap. You hand the baton. They run their lap. They hand the baton until it's over. In a swim, in a race, relay, you've got the same one. One swims down, comes back. The other one comes back. And, run, and when you're done, it's done. This is what Paul is telling Timothy, at least a metaphorical way, is that God is get, Paul is saying, I've given these things, the things which you heard from me, in the presence of many witnesses, all the teachings you've heard throughout the 20 years of our ministry together, pass these on or entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. 
That's what Lakeside Bible Church is about. It's about training people to know God's Word, Sunday school classes, groups that come together. I hope that you are taking advantage of the privilege that you have here of knowing and learning God's Word so that you too not only can receive it, can receive the baton as it were, but to pass the baton. You don't have to be a preacher to pass the baton. You can be a mother teaching your children at home. You can be someone who writes a blog. Who cares if only two people read it? Two people are reading it. It gets passed along. Things happen. God doesn't let the truth just go by the wayside. Pass it along. It's a great privilege and an honor to do so. That's what Paul is telling Timothy to do. Tim, don't give up. Pass it along. Give it to faithful men. They'll be able to teach others also. Note this verse 3. It's not something we often say. He says, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. You won't find that in the health and wealth church of the day. They don't use the word suffer. Suffer hardship with me. Or really, the better way of of translating it, it, just chapter 1, verse 8, it's the same word where he says, join with me in suffering. Now, if I said, join with me, I'm serving dinner over at the local Mexican restaurant. How many of you are coming? Join with me in some queso. That's my vice in this life. As is well known when I take my shirt off. (laughs) Or really, it's more known when I sit down. Queso. Join with me in some queso. Join with me in a steak. Join with me in whatever. What if I said, join with me in suffering? Who's in? I'm not going to suffer. It's Sunday afternoon. We've been sitting in church for an hour and a half. I'm going home to watch football, take a nap. It's Sunday. I'm not going to go join and suffer with anyone. But that's what Paul says, join with me in suffering hardship as a good soldier. He uses three metaphors here. Verse 3 talks about a soldier. Verse 4 talks about an athlete. Verse 5, or verse, I'm sorry, verse 3 and 4, it's uh, the soldier. Verse 5, it's the athlete. And verse 6, it's a hardworking farmer. You pick which metaphor you relate best to because he's saying the same thing. He's the same thing as the main verb, and that is continually be strong. Well, as a soldier, how many of you are veterans? You've been in a war? You've served in the military? How many? handful of you. Thank you for your service. Um, Some of you may have been in battle and you suffer in ways that those of us who have not been in battle will never understand. Uh, PTSD, post-traumatic stress uh, uh, syndrome, uh, things that you've seen, that you've heard, the horribleness of of humanity haunts you and may never leave you. You've seen your your friends die. You don't understand why people are so rude and horrible to each other. You live with that. And those of us who didn't see it don't know what you've gone through. You gave up everything to serve. You You couldn't take your wife. You couldn't take your children. You couldn't take your motorcycle. You couldn't even take your computer probably. You had to give up everything. That's what it is to be a soldier, and that's what Paul is saying. Suffer or join me in suffering as a good soldier. Paul loves the metaphor of being a soldier in the Bible. He calls a couple of his friends, fellow soldiers, Epaphroditus and Archippus, my fellow soldier. He speaks of the weapons of our warfare that are not akin to the weapons of of real warfare, but they're of the the Spirit of God. He speaks of the the, the soldier's armor in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 12 and following. Uh, the, the sword, which is the word of God. The helmet of salvation, the breastplate of faith, 
think I got those right. He likes that, that imagery. He speaks of fighting the good fight. In fact, he told Timothy, fight the good fight, soldiering. Paul understands that. And he's speaking of being a good soldier. B, suffer with me as a soldier would. But it's not just a soldier of your country, but it's of Christ Jesus. That's what we are as Christians. We're soldiers of Christ Jesus. You ever feel like you're in a battle, spiritual battle? If you don't feel it, maybe you haven't engaged it. Because we live in a dark world. And here's the really bad news. It ain't going to get any better. We don't live in a day where there's a revival coming. I hope there is, but even if there is, it's just putting off the inevitable. The end is upon us. Second Thessalonians, Paul writes that there, are, there will be the great apostasy, the great apostasy that precedes the end of days. A time when people like you who gather in church, who have your Bibles, who one day claim to be a believer in Christ, when the heat gets hotter, you're going to say, I'm done with this. The great, the great falling away. That's what apostasy is. We're in the battle. It's a, it should be a familiar place to you. It should be one that you know is coming, and it probably isn't going away. And Paul is saying, suffer with me. Join with me in the suffering. That's what soldiers do. No soldier comes back from battle and says, well, that was like a day at Daytona Beach. It's not a vacation. It's hardship. It's what it means, not just to a pastor like Timothy or to me or to Ken or any other pastor. It's to every Christian. He says in verse 4, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Well, that's what happens with soldiers. It's what happens with Christians. Let me ask you this. How many things have you allowed your life to get entangled up in that keeps you from proper service to Christ. Maybe you watch, how many of you watch too much news and you know it? Because the news, you know, it's so refreshing. <laughs> it makes us so happy. You know, even the conservative news, they're just railing constantly at their enemies. You go, my wife likes to watch that right before bed. I, I can't go to sleep with Tucker Carlson and and the others, Laura Ingram, I like those people. They, I'm assuming they're speaking the truth, but they're just so mad. And I don't want them to make me mad. It's easy to get entangled in that. It's easy to get entangled in social media. It's easy to get entangled in, in whatever. Obviously, there are things that we need to be entangled in. I mean, if you've got one or two kids and you're trying to follow their little league games, your life is entangled. And if you've got 10 kids and you're trying to keep up with all of them, you're probably not completely entangled in the Word of God. You don't have time and you don't allow yourself that time. Paul is telling Timothy, as he's telling all of us, if we're going to suffer as a good soldier, don't let yourself get all entangled in all the things that can be done today. It's okay if your child isn't a professional baseball player. It's okay. They're probably not going to make it anyway. I mean, when I was... I graduated high school in 1987, and when I was in college, you know, my dream was to be the running back for the Dallas Cowboys. Unfortunately, Emmett Smith happened to live at the same time as me. And because of Emmett Smith, I was unable to become the running back for the Dallas Cowboys. So I quit entangling myself in that nonsense. 
That's just silliness, I know. But there's many things that we can get entangled in. Make sure you evaluate your life. We're soldiers in battle. We've left behind the world. Well, if that one doesn't hit you, and by the way, we're pleasing the one who enlisted us, that is, as a soldier, that is Christ, that God be the glory. Or is it to us? Or is it to our children? I can't tell you how many people through the years have left our church to find a more convenient one so that their kids can play baseball. Um, there used to be a day 15 years ago when, when even in the subdivision where we live, they would not have practices in the, in the sports league on Wednesday night because churches had Wednesday night church. In fact, that's one of the ways Ken and I met. I don't know if you remember that when uh, Michael Boys was, was ta- talking to us how we did. And you and I had Wednesday night service and Sunday morning. And Michael said, what are you all, Baptist church? And I, right there, I knew Ken and I were related. Man, we still do the Wednesday night thing. Do you still do the Wednesday night thing? Well, you paused. Okay, are we still brothers? But that's not the case anymore. Now there's not only practice on Wednesday night, there's practice in games when? On Sunday morning. And, and no one seems to care. People leave the church, find a Saturday night church, we'll get that worship in so we can do what we want then. They're entangled in the world. Verse 5, also, if anyone competes as an athlete, it's one word in the Greek text is athle, obviously where we get athlete, competes as an athlete. If you compete as an athlete, how many of you are athletes and have competed as athletes in this room? You know what it is to be an athlete. If you're going to be an athlete, if you're going to be an effective athlete, you're up early. You're running. You run in the rain. You run in the cold. You deprive yourself of queso, which is why I'm not an athlete. Try to be an athlete and combine it with queso, it doesn't work. You have to make sacrifices, and you do so. You eat raw eggs. You, you go to bed early. You get up early. You're always working, always depriving. And why are you doing it? For the prize. This is what he's talking about as Christians. Compares it as an athlete. We compete as an athlete. If we do so, we do it He does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. Now, there are rules when you're an athlete. And in the context of Paul on that day, the rules of an athlete, number one, you had to be a Greek. You had to be a Greek if you're going to run or compete in the Greek games, the Olympiad. You also had to complete a 10-month training program, and you had to, thirdly, compete according to the rules of the event in which you were enrolled. And so what Paul is saying here is you and I as Christians We, number one, we don't have to be Greek. We have to be born again. We have to be born again if we are an athlete for Christ, for competing. And by the way, make sure you get this. Our athletic competition is not against each other. There are many Christians that do that. They like to think they're better than somebody else. A better Christian, I'm a better than them. Well, I do this more and they don't. It's not a competition with each other. There's nothing spiritual about competing with each other, spiritually speaking. It's competition against ourselves. It's a competition between this little distance in the mind, what you know to be right, what the Spirit of God has flooded you with, and what you and your flesh want to do and want to think. That's the competition. And we must discipline ourselves to win that. You know that war, don't you? The battle between good and evil in your mind. And you know who the best preacher is to help you through those days? You. You are your best preacher. Always preach to yourself. Constantly be telling yourself, what's right? What does God think? Because you know it. 
No one's a better preacher than you. Preach to yourself. Condemn yourself so that no one else has to. But when you compete as an athlete is in relation to being a Christian, we're looking for a prize, and that prize is Christ, isn't it? Of course, we already have him if we're in Christ. We're already there. But isn't that our focus? If I illustrated it here, if that monitor down there is Christ, right down that middle aisle, and that's where I'm going, how am I going to get there if I'm looking over here? How will I get there? If I'm over here or if I'm over here, how am I going to get there? That's the prize. That's what I'm running towards. We as Christians are running towards the prize. That word in Greek is stephanos. That's where the word Steve, the name Stephen and Stephanie come from. It, it's about a wreath, a wreath that the Greek, um, when you won the Olympiad, you'd wear a, a, a feather, I'm sorry, a, le- a, a wreath. You know what a wreath is, right? It's got leaves on it. That's what you're striving for. That's stephanos, that crown. You and I are striving toward Christ. And if Christ were to come up and say, hey, are you striving towards me? Well, yeah, of course I am. I'm a Christian. Then why aren't you looking at me? Why is your focus over here or over there? We're competing going forward. Amen? I mean, I think of that. These these all convict me. There's so many ways to be entangled in the world and to lose our focus. He does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. Now, of course, the first rule is that we're born again, but the second rule, I don't know, I've got to add these if we try to put them into Paul's um, analogy, and that would be if one of the rules, I think, of being a Christian, and it doesn't mean that you're saved or not saved, and I hate to add any, can't add anything to being saved by grace, can you? But those who are saved by grace through faith in Christ hunger for the Word of God. It's our spiritual food. How can you be a Christian and not hunger for God's Word? How can you want to be an athlete and not train to win the prize? I think Ken picked up that, that, that outline of getting you through the Bible in a year. Read the Bible in 2021 if you never have, cover to cover. That changed my life. You know, if you read three and a half chapters per day, if you start on January the 1st, three and a half chapters per day, by the time you get to December 31st, you're at Revelation 22. Yes, Lord Jesus, come. Last words. You get to read that. And if you do it seven chapters a day, well, lo and behold, you read the Bible twice in a year. You are feeding your soul. If you read the Bible once or twice a year and you have 50 years left, imagine what you take into eternity with you. The Word of God. This is what it means to train to read, to pray, to fellowship with each other. I'm encouraged and discouraged by getting together with people. It's all part of the fun, being encouraged and discouraged. There are times when I just say, Cheryl, let's go. I've even yelled it at her before, let's go. Other times, let's stay. Being with God's people is like being with your family, right? Sometimes you like it. Sometimes it's time for them to go. But that's the beauty of being with God's people. We're competing according to the rules. We're born again. We're studying Scripture. And that last one, I think, is that we live, we do everything we do unto the glory of God. That last song we sang, yeah, Ken, get that out there to everybody. My wife just this past week was saying, have you heard that song that goes with Old Lang Syne? By the way, Old Lang Syne means long time since. Long time since, and it's Scottish. I looked it up this past week, and I'm happy to share that with you. Long time since, it means old days past, something like that. So, see, you're going to go home knowing something you didn't know already. 
But boy, what a wonderful, beautiful word. Thank God, literally, they changed the words and put something worth singing into that wonderful tune. All glory to God. I'm married to the glory of God. I'm a dad to the glory of God. I eat queso to the glory of God. If that be possible. I like to pray like Tim Hawkins. You know who Tim Hawkins is? Who prays that a a bag of Doritos will be made into the body of Christ and his body and permeate his system with wonderful, hey, God can do anything, can't he? So according to the rules, born again, studying your Bible, praying, talking to God, and doing all things to the glory of God. In verse 6, the third metaphor is the hardworking farmer. A hardworking farmer is not like the athlete. He's not like the, uh, the farm, the, uh, what's the first one? Yeah, the soldier. I could have looked down, but I can't see. It's all blurry. Um, they get a little bit of glory. That uh, athlete gets to compete with people, with a team. And if they win, glory. Glory, a wreath, a Stephanos. Soldier, they're in victory, and really their, their goal is to fight for their people, for their country, to stay alive. When they do, there's victory. There's a parade. What happens when a farmer digs up his crops? Is there a parade? Is there anyone to slap him on the back? Hey, attaboy. No. A hardworking farmer. And anyone who farms, and I've had to look it up because I don't farm, they're to bed late, they're up early. They don't get days off. They can't look out at their field and say, I'm taking a two-week vacation. I'll be back. If the field could talk, it says, it would say, we'll all be dead when you get back. They have to deal with drought, with floods, with pestilence, frost, thieves. That's what a pastor does, that hardworking farmer. That's what a Christian does with our own lives. We're having to deal with all of the things that come in and want to take our fruit want to steal the joy that we can have in Christ. And so he's telling him the hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. I don't know exactly what that means. It could mean a number of things. If he's talking to a pastor, he could mean that it, it, you should be able to receive money for your services, as Paul says elsewhere, to be paid for your, your ministry. It could be that you'll see this spiritual fruit But you know, when you do spiritual fruit, when you bear spiritual fruit, you don't hear a whole lot of fanfare. Um, I don't know how you treat Ken when you hear a good sermon from Ken, but if it's anything like at my place, then uh, your best sermons go completely without a word. Silence is the best compliment you get. But when you say something wrong, you you always think it's the unfairness of it all is, you know, I'm I'm an Astros fan, Houston Astros fan. I was anyway. Um, And you know... These guys, they come up to the plate, and they have music, rock and roll, great music, and everybody's, all right. They struck out four times prior, but they're still up. Base is loaded. Game's over because they struck out again, and they get to hold out the next year for more money. The hardworking farmer, in in terms of a pastor, is one bad sermon, and you're out. Four in a row? Well, I mean, you may escape with your life at best. And you're certainly not holding out for more money or having a song that plays while you um, ascend to the stage. No, the hardworking farmer as it relates to Christianity, as it relates to pastors, ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. 
Ought to be the first to enjoy that which goes on. Ought to be, may or may not be, but it's hardworking. So which were you? Which, which relates to you the best? Is it the soldier? Will you leave everything and, and not be entangled in all and deal with all the garbage that goes along the way and the PTSD that follows? Is it the athlete, hardworking, the agonizing days of trying to get to the place where you want to be and win the prize? Is it that hardworking farmer? Digging, plowing. And you know, the, the other thing about being a farmer as a Christian is that even Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, he's, he's speaking of himself and the gentleman that followed him in Corinth. Paul was the first pastor of Corinth. The gentleman that followed him was named Apollos. And he said, look, I, wa- I, I sowed the seed, spiritually speaking. Apollos watered the seed, but what? But it was God that caused the growth. In other words, there's no guarantee in ministry that you're ever going to see a single person come to know Christ. God has not guaranteed us that. So if you're a, a street evangelist and you're out there telling people about Jesus and you're wondering, where's the effectiveness of my ministry? I got bad news for you. It ain't promised. God did not say, you're going to reap this wonderful harvest. He just said, go sow and go water. I will cause the growth, God says. And so there's the more bad news. If we're the hardworking farmer, go out and sow the seed. Do everything you can, Timothy, as a pastor. Do everything you can as a Christian. And if God gives us the growth, you'll be the first to enjoy it. And if he doesn't, remain faithful. All things to God's glory. All things to God's glory. And the passage that runs the entire thing is verse 7. Consider what I say. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Focus on that. Just I know it's the end here. You're probably antsy to go. Consider what I say. Consider what the Apostle Paul says. Consider what God says. That's what we have in the Bible, God's Word. Consider what God says, for the Lord God Himself will give you understanding in everything. We need understanding. We want to understand. I want to be understood as a human being. St. Augustine in the fourth century, later repeated more prominently by St. Anselm in the 10th century, said this, I believe that I might understand. I believe that I might understand. He doesn't say I'm trying to understand so that I might believe. I believe so that I can understand. You want to understand? You want to understand who God is, what he wants from you? Believe in him. Put your trust in him. You've been recruited for battle. You are being trained as an athlete. You are a hardworking farmer. God, I don't get it. I don't understand all that's going on. I thought this, I thought that. God's saying, stop thinking. I've got this. Believe that you might understand. Thank you for having me. Let me pray for us. Lord, I pray that all of our lives would be those of the kinds of people that you have created us to be, that we would believe you more and more, that every word we read in your word Even though it's difficult at times to believe, difficult to understand, as it was for Abraham, that old man with an old wife who'd never had a child, he just believed you. And you reckoned it to him as righteousness. May we believe you that we might understand you. I pray, Father, for each of us, your people, weak, weak as we are, filled with your spirit, though we might be, 
We live in a hostile world, a world where the weapons are all against us. The philosophies rail against us. May you be big in us. May we submit to that. Your lordship would flow through us. The spirit of God would be seen in us. We would be enabled through the spirit of God to be great soldiers of the faith, great athletes of the faith, competing against ourselves and winning, hardworking farmers. And yes, Lord, I pray that as we sow and as we water, you would show us that growth. And even if you don't, may we be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Even if you don't give us what we know you can, we will not bow to the ways of the world and we'll remain strong. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.